0: You matter so much to God. You'll never know how much you matter to Him. A few years ago, I did a message here on this church. We had a family who lost a child. And it was a difficult funeral to preach. We held them. We talked together. We prayed together. I met with other families that had lost a child one of the things that I heard as a common theme was, you can never replace that child. People would say to us sometime, well, you've got two more. God's blessed you with two more. I know they meant well with that, but that hurt so much. Nothing could replace that child. Or if they were young, you could have another baby. Last night as we were gathered here praying, I was looking at all of those needs and thinking about this morning's message. Thinking about Haley's song. The song that we sang this morning, He's the God of Miracles. You need to know nobody can replace you in the eyes of God. You matter to God. God loves you. He cares about you. I grew up in a church where miracles were talked about a lot. I had a pretty inquisitive mind, because sometimes people would testify in our little church about a miracle, and then the next week they'd need that same miracle again. And you may have grown up in a church like that, because it was always important after you were prayed for, you were to testify. And so there was a bit of I don't think anybody was trying to manipulate. It was just trying to encourage other people. And then I served in a wonderful congregation as a youth pastor with a wonderful church, man and woman of God, our pastor and his wife, that we just loved working with so much. And we saw so many miracles happen. Becky and I, through the years, have had a real. Interest, not a fascination, but we've had a real interest in miracles. Partly because of my own personal life story. Recently, I've received two different requests from a published two different publishers to write a book, and I'm not prepared to do that yet. And yet, I think at some time that will come you can pray with me about that but I want to do more than write a book of stories I want to share what I'm going to share with you this morning a biblical and theological reason why we can live expecting miracles in our life because we live in a culture that So much of the popular literature denies miracles, denies the creative work of God. I mean, when our children are taught that the universe began because some tiny little speck of light, no bigger than a period of matter, exploded, then all of this became us. I mean, you've got to have a lot of faith to believe that. I mean you just gotta have a lot of faith to believe that. I mean, I need to listen to you talk about faith. Because this world that we live in is so wonderful. I mean, if our earth was just a little bit smaller, just just a teensy bit, that's not a very you can't get by with that in your high school classes. But if our earth was just a little bit smaller, then our earth wouldn't have enough gravity to hold water on the planet. It would all evaporate to the sky if our earth was just a little bit larger it's a bit larger then the chlorine gas and methane would not be able to escape the earth and nothing would live because of the poisonous gases on the planet if our moon and it's unique our planet should we only have one moon Think of all that. One planet they've determined now has got over 50 moons. I, I, I could be wrong on this, but I think it's Saturn that has over 50 moons. But if our moon was just a little bit, teensy bit larger, we wouldn't have our great coastal cities. There would be 100-foot waves as the tides came in and out. If our moon was just a teensy bit smaller, then our coastlines wouldn't receive the cleansing that they receive from the washing of the waves and you and I wouldn't get to enjoy and I know in the Old Testament they couldn't but we wouldn't get to enjoy shrimp and lobster and I like that stuff and if you're a food Nazi I don't want to talk to you after church if if Jupiter wasn't precisely placed where Jupiter is precisely placed I mean just think about this the comets would batter this planet and life couldn't exist but because of Jupiter's immense size it absorbs because of its gravitational pull it absorbs many of the comets that come flying through the sky into its atmosphere or it deflects them way out into the universe I mean there's a phrase being used right now with scientists and you know I'm not a scientist I can't pretend to be one but I love to read and now they're starting to use a phrase called this universe is a finely tuned universe but you like that finely tuned there are more and more scientists that just saying this can't be an accident this just can't be an accident you see The reason we have science is because of Christianity. Our Judeo-Christian faith says that God created nature with these laws and therefore we could study these laws. We could test certain things because if it was a law it was going to be able to be reproduced and happen again and again. And that's the reason that theology is called the mother of all sciences. You may not have known that, but the birth mother of science is theology because they knew that the laws of God were not only observable, but they could be testable. But it's like anything else. When you try to remove God from an equation, then you're gonna make this thing your God. So, if you ask a lot of scientists like Richard Dawkins or you ask popular writers, I know he's dead now, like Carl Sagan, an astronomer, you say, how did it all begin? They'll say, an accident. Then if you ask them, how do you think it will all end? They'll say, probably by an accident. And then if you ask them, as Stephen Hawkins said, well, what's the meaning of life? He goes, there is no meaning of life. He said, our brains is like a computer. When it dies, it dies. We no longer exist. And so there's no meaning to life. Because when science becomes the God, then you rule out the miracles. Our faith is a faith of miracles. We believe that God spoke this into existence. We believe that God created us. We believe somehow or another, I don't know how he did it, but there was no need for the sperm cell of a man, but God's creative word entered into the womb of Mary, and Jesus was conceived. And we believe that Jesus was crucified upon the cross. He died, he was buried, and on the third day, He was raised again. That's a miracle. Our faith rests upon the biblical witness of miracles. And so it's not my story or even your story that is the basis for what we believe. It's the Bible that is the basis for what we believe. And that's where we have to turn. Ian Hutchison, who is a scientist at MIT, has written a book called Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? Mr. Hutchison doesn't believe that God stands on the sidelines, but he believes, as he writes in his book, that Jesus is the Word of God by whom all things and through whom all things and by him all things were created, exist, and hold together. And he's a brilliant physicist Hans Halverson a philosopher of science at Princeton University points out what I just pointed out to you how that the reason that we even have science today is not because of the wisdom of man but because of the revelation of God in the Bible no other religion gave us that and we cannot allow that to be robbed from us and from our children Science, I'm not an enemy of science. You should be an enemy of science. Learn it, study it, rejoice in what you learn. But also question and challenge the assumptions when they say that there is no miraculous. Or if someone says to you, there is no God. Friends, our faith rests in someone we cannot see. If you took away all of our faith and the things we can't see, this world would come to a grinding halt. I want to talk to you about a miracle this morning, and what that miracle meant. We're going to go in just a moment as we stand together. We're going to read how that Israel crossed the Jordan River. Unfortunately. It was not the generation that was supposed to cross the river. You see, you can miss the plan of God. You can miss, the, but look at me. You can miss the plan of God because of unbelief and hardness of heart. You can miss what God wants for you. But their children crossed the river. Their children cross and God did for them a miracle like he did for their parents. God did for them what he would have done for their parents and it's for me in my generation is for me in my house I don't want us to miss one thing that God has for us and I especially don't want our children and my grandchildren to miss what God has for them and so this miracle has a lot to say to us as parents as grandparents as elders in the body of Christ But in order to possess what God had promised them, they were going to have to have a miracle. And not just one miracle, but they would need periodically miracles to happen in their lives. And God did for them what he began to do for their parents and what he would have continued to do for their parents if they had been faithful to worship the God of miracles. So with that, would you stand with me this morning? They've come to the Jordan River. Moses has died. His mentee Joshua is leading the people of God. God has made a wonderful promise to Joshua. He says, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. We want the presence of God. I mean, we need the presence of God. As I was with Joseph, I will be with you. He said, I want you to walk in this land, and if you'll meditate upon my word and be careful to do what's in my word, believe what's in my word, I'll give you every place that your foot trods upon. God wants you to possess what God has created and intended for you all along. So Joshua and that generation, their children, are gonna cross over, that's where we pick up. It was the harvest season and the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge. Now, this is an important note. Jericho felt secure because nobody could cross the Jordan River when it was at flood stage. I mean, it was way out of its banks. It'd be like the floods in Nebraska Minnesota that had been cut off. Farms isolated, homes isolated, power gone. They were confident because the Jordan River was at flood stage. Well, the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, and the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathun. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people who had to be in the millions, then all the people who crossed over near the town of Jericho. And meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. And they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. I believe as a congregation, I believe as families in our church we are we have arrived at an epical time in the history of our nation but also in the history of our church. We stand on the edge of our tomorrows. We stand on the edge of a future that God wants us to possess. I've watched as your son stood on this platform helping us worship. I have watched Gabe as You stood on this platform helping us worship. I didn't feel old. I felt successful. I felt victorious. I watched Haley leading this morning and realized there's a whole new generation that is rising up to serve God and to worship God. And we stand on an edge of tomorrow. And I want them to know the God of all miracles. This is not a culture. This is us being in the presence of God. And so we stand there. And I kind of feel like one of those old men that Joshua spoke to. And he said, I want you to go before the priest, leave and bring the Ark of the Covenant out of that riverbed. I want you to go back down to their riverbed and I want you to heave 12 big stones on your shoulders. Have chosen the biggins in here like you. He says, I want to put a rock on your shoulder, and I want you to build an altar. Because one day your children are gonna come by, and we have a tendency to forget, don't we? We have a tendency to forget what God did for us in the past. We have a tendency not to tell our children. He says, and one day your kids are gonna come by, and they're gonna go, Daddy, Papa, What do these stones mean? And I want you to build that as a permanent memorial or as a sign. And I want you to tell them how I delivered you and how you came to possess this land. We are not where we're at because we are smart, because we are clever, or because we are cunning. We are where we are at and who we are by the grace of God Almighty. Hallelujah. That's why we're here. Now, Holy Spirit of God, I thank you for everything that you have done for us in the past. And now, Jesus, I come pleading one more time. Roll up your sleeves, dear Lord, and bear your arms in our midst. And as the gospel is preached, may signs and wonders follow. And may the fear of the Lord descend upon this wonderful community that we live in. And many, many people be brought to Jesus Christ, I pray. For it's in your name I ask. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. The genesis of this message had its beginnings. And someone who visited our church a few years ago and came because of a message that I was preaching. They took the message downtown to City Hall and played it for a group of people. I've told you the story before, but for those of you who hadn't heard it, I'll remind you. They played it and discussed the message I preached, and one of the comments was, number one, I'm surprised I enjoyed the message. I disagree with everything he said, but I can tell that he loves me. He doesn't know me, but I can tell that he loves me. I can tell that he loves people. Number two, I'm surprised that I liked listening to him because he's a white man and I don't like white people very much. And number three, he was surprised because he thought I was younger than what I was. And somebody betrayed me and told him I was in my 60s. And he says, I don't like old people either. (laughs) I've laughed at that story, talked to the person who's told me that story. But then that story began to break my heart. Because I said, God, I don't want to be a nice preacher. I want to be a dangerous preacher. I want the Word of God to be like the Lion of Judah consuming your enemies in the street. And I'm thankful that he felt love and I'm thankful that he liked the style even if he disagreed with the content. But it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that matters because everyone matters to God. Not just those of us that have accepted him as his children but all of those who don't know him yet. You see tomorrow or tomorrow we will Go to our jobs, and you will have to make a decision about what to do with this message. After the first service this morning, there were people saying, I've got to get a copy of this message when it'll be online. This one needs to hear it. That one needs to hear it. And although I didn't say this, friends, you and I need to hear this message. It's not that somebody else needs to hear this message, because it's what we will do with this message For students, you know, you can talk about your future. You can dream about your future. But there comes a time where you have to do something about your future. You have to rise up in faith. And you have to be willing to cross the Jordan River. You have to be willing to follow God sometimes into scary and dangerous places. You have to be willing to walk with God when you don't understand the places that God has called you to walk in. For you see, in order to experience the miracles of God, it's gonna necessitate a great faith in God to keep on keeping on as God leads you from victory to victory and from faith to faith. You see, when I was born again, I had to learn how to live again. The moment you cross the line, there's a whole new lifestyle that you have got to learn. Whatever has shaped your life, some of you came from maybe. Christian homes and you can't remember a time in your life when you didn't love Jesus. From your earliest memories, you somehow or another had a faith in Jesus and maybe you never actually prayed the way I ask people to pray here on a Sunday morning, but you committed your life, you believed in Jesus and you've lived for him and you've known that he's died for your sins. Some of the rest of you, though, You've come out of places where you've dealt with intimidation factors, you've dealt with fear factors, you've dealt with disappointing factors, you've dealt with family factors, you've dealt with faith factors, things that have shaped your lives up until the moment you gave your heart to Jesus. But the God is calling us today on this Palm Sunday to come to terms with those factors that have shaped us and to realize. Those things are in the past that when we gave our lives to Christ, when we were buried in the waters of baptism, we died with Christ and we rose to a new life in Jesus Christ. When these children's parents escaped from Egypt, there was a miracle for them called the crossing of the Red Sea, and they had a similar miracle that their children had and God delivered them from Egypt from their slavery and from the bondage of Pharaoh, and they all crossed across to the other side, but they never learned how to live out their new identity. They kept going back to the ways of the gods of Egypt. They kept going back Back to the things that they missed about Egypt. And though God had done a miracle for them and God provided miracles for them along the way like manna and quail and water, they never got Egypt out of their hearts because they never learned how to live as the people of God, even though they had the tabernacle in their midst and i fear sometimes we may be in danger of coming to the church and being part of the church and being in ministry but we never recognize the reality of the presence of jehovah god who lives among us it is not a culture but we live and abide in the presence of the lord but now their children they're experiencing a miracle and they are going to invade and they are going to possess the land of promise that God had promised to their parents. I have always believed and for over 30 years, long before I came to Woodland, at some point about a decade into my ministry, as I was meditating on the book of Daniel, Daniel prophesied about a generation that would know their God and they would do great and mighty exploits for their Lord. And generations have come like that But my prayer has been, give us a generation, oh God, that is not concerned about their reputation, but your reputation. That is not concerned about providing for their needs because they know God will provide for their needs. Give us a generation that are concerned about your glory, that will be the vanguard to pierce the darkness of this world and to bring the good news and the light of Jesus Christ. And I believe that we are on the precipice of God answering that prayer that we will see our children and our grandchildren and by golly, I want to be counted among them that we know God and we just haven't been born again but we have learned how to live this new life in Jesus Christ. We have learned how to live this life. Every evangelical knows these verses this means that anyone who belongs to christ has become a new person the old life is gone a new life has begun your old life those fear factors those intimidating factors those controlling factors those family factors they're broken they're gone you are a new creation in christ but you've got to learn to live like that ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23 let the spirit renew your thought and attitudes put on your new nature created to be like god truly righteous and holy you're not an amorphous blob that god is just going to do this to you've got to learn the spiritual disciplines and how to follow god and walk with god in faith and there was one church that evidently they were lying to one another and there were things going on because paul would write to them about learning how to lead this new life in colossians 3 he says don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. So I encourage you this morning, learn to live what it means to live a life not only where you have been born again, but you are living the life of an overcomer, a spirit-filled life, a life where you can possess the promises of God. Number two, when I'm born again, that's when I discover the destiny that God has for me. You are not an accident. And for the Christian who believes that God is the creator of all science and that God is the creator of all things, then you know that you're not an accident and you know that this is not an accident and you know it's not gonna end in an accident. What a joy it was to finish the book of Revelation this past Wednesday night and to look at the promises in the new heaven and the new earth. God has a greater future for us. God has a destiny for each and every one of us. When God is ready to do something new in our lives, like he was for the children of Israel, it's up to you and I to choose to accept God's plan. That first generation had to choose to follow Moses across the Red Sea. But once they crossed the Red Sea, they chose not to follow God wholeheartedly. They saw the promise of God They saw and said, yes, it's a good land, it's a sweet land, but there were those with little faith who persuaded everybody to doubt God. They persuaded everybody to doubt what God had promised, and they said, you know, it's impossible. We can't see God. How do we know? They forgot the Red Sea. As a child, I would read those stories and say, how can you forget the God who parted the Red Sea? How can you forget the God who sent the plagues upon Egypt? How can you forget the God who sent manna, who sent quail? How can you forget the God who has delivered you? How can you forget God who has forgiven you of your sins? You are not just born again. God has a plan for your life this morning. God has a purpose for your being here. And as long as I draw a breath or you draw a breath, whether you're 80 or whether you're 18, God has a plan for each and every one of us here. And so I have to be willing to possess what God has promised me. I have to be willing to to possess what God has provided for me. Or I choose, I choose, now listen, I choose to live in some little corner of this wonderful creation that God has given to us and say, God, you could forgive me of my sins, But you don't have a destiny for me on this life, in this world. And you may do well. I mean, I'm not saying, you may do well. For God says he prospers the hands of the diligent. You may do well. But your children may grow up not knowing who God is. You may be like someone in our fellowship recently who said to me, I just missed it. I got away from God. I had my children weren't raised to know God. I wanted nothing to do with God. And now that I've come to Jesus, I realize what I've done. I would say to you, God is able to make a miracle happen in your family. God is able to save to the uttermost. And don't you ever give up on the Holy Spirit convicting your children and your grandchildren and bringing them to know Jesus Christ. Can we give them a hand of praise for that this morning? <laughs> It's a question we all face, and everything rides, listen, everything rides upon our willingness, our decision to respond to what God says to us in his word the way that Joshua responded. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 with me this morning. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of Christ. We're a free people free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds, and not just barely free other either, but abundantly free. God thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans He took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth, it is in Christ In Christ. Read it with me. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Underline that in your outline this morning. It is in Christ. It is not... In the business world, it is not in the collegiate world, it is not in the factory, it is not in your hobbies that you find out your life. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we live for. For long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living. For glorious living, say that with me. For glorious living. Can we give Him another hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. You see, the reason this miracle is so important to me and I think to us as a congregation this morning is because their parents were slaves coming out of Egypt. And I understand the challenges sometimes of people who've come to know Jesus and don't have the background that I was blessed with with great-grandparents and grandparents and parents that knew and loved the Lord. Their parents, they came out as slaves. They were to learn how to worship. They were to learn how to hear God's Word. That 40 years, though, because they rejected God, They wandered in the wilderness till they died. But their children heard the word of the Lord. Their children heard what God had to say. Their children learned the meaning of the sacrifices. Their children learned the meaning of the worship. And so it wasn't slaves that was crossing the Jordan River. These were warriors. These were young people that God had raised up. Like I said earlier, they're going to possess the land. Their mamas and daddies may have given up on God, but they were not giving up on God. Their mamas and daddies may have had to live in the wilderness, but they had already had enough of wilderness living. They were ready for some promised land living. Their mamas and daddies may have been satisfied with a form of worship, but they were ready for the reality of what God had promised for them. And if there was a giant in the midst, then that giant was just too big to miss. They were going to take those giants out because if God before them, who in the world can be a Against yes, that. You see, that's what it means about learning to live in this new life. Their parents experience deliverance but they never experience life. Their children now are going to learn what it means to conquer and to possess the land that God has promised them. And in order to do that, you and I have got to move beyond our past into the presence of God in order to move into the future. These children had to move, put that up for me, move past the Pass into the presence of God in order to live into the future. You cannot let the fear factor, the family factor, the skeptic factor, the doubting factor, the poverty factor, the sin factor, the, the whatever factor you can come up with, you cannot allow that factor to stand before you and God. When you are baptized in Christ, you die to your old life, you are living a new life in Jesus Christ. You today, whether you know it or not, Christ lives within you, Christ dwells within his church, but we are living in the presence of God Almighty. Can somebody praise him this morning for that? We are in his presence. In some way, in some way in the very near future, I believe that we're going to see God moving in our midst moving in our students' midst, that they will sense and experience the presence of God Almighty with them. Angie Cumby, one of our dear friends, diagnosed with cancer. We prayed with Angie. We fasted with Angie and Jimmy. And I remember when Angie went in, I knew her surgeon. He loved the Lord, a godly man. And there was no hope after all the treatments. She didn't have the surgery. She was going to die. And I tell you Angie's story because I know Angie. I know Jimmy. I know Dr. Frank Hugh Smith. I know him. So I can tell you these stories for veracity. I can tell you stories that sometimes I'm hesitant to say, but I can tell you these stories because they're genuine miracles. Before the surgery, Dr. Frank you wanted to do one more x-ray and there that tumor was as big as a grapefruit. And so they got in and got ready to do surgery and decided they would check one more time. And there is a scar inside of Angie where there was a tumor, but somehow or another in God's sovereign grace, God healed Angie and there was no need of surgery. And she and Jimmy are still loving and serving Christ. And I remember the day when they gave their hearts to Jesus and praying with Jimmy to give his heart to Christ. And I've often wondered what would their future had been if Jimmy and Angie had not come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. You see, he's the God of miracles. And don't you ever forget that this morning. I cannot explain, nor do I feel the need to explain. I am long past that. Why, God doesn't do a miracle in everybody's life. But I will tell you this, there won't be a miracle unless you are willing to reach out to God in faith and say, Lord, I believe. And I will deal with that towards the end of this message. It's why Joshua told those 12 big men, go, go. Pick up a stone. Look with me at Joshua 4. Joshua called out the 12 men whom he had selected from the people of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua directed them, cross to the middle of the Jordan. Take your place in front of the chest of God or the Ark of the Covenant, your God. Each of you heft a stone to your shoulder, a stone for each of the tribes of the people of Israel. So you have something later to mark the occasion, a sign. When your children ask you, what are these stones to you? You'll say, the floor of the Jordan was stopped in front of this chest of the covenant of God as it crossed the Jordan. Stopped in its tracks. These stones are a permanent memorial. For the people of God are the people of Israel. They're a permanent sign. You see, there are some things that God does in our life that only God could do. And the reason we build a marker, the reason we lay something there, the reason we took the communion in our hands this morning, the reason we held those is because God says, don't forget me. Don't forget that I died to shed my blood for your sins. Don't forget that my body was put on a cross. I give you these things to remember. It's to be a permanent remembrance until Jesus comes. You are building a permanent remembrance for the generations that follow you. Sir, look at me this morning. Every man looked me in the eye. Sir, you are building a legacy for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. And you want your legacy to be, I knew the Lord. I saw God work in my life. We are where we are, what we are, and who we are, not because of the diligence of my hands, but because of the grace and the glory of God who gave His Son Jesus Christ for my sins. That's the legacy sir, you want to leave for your family. Our world culture tells us that somehow or another, if we work hard enough, if we save hard enough, we'll be able to maneuver through this world that we live in. When airplanes crash because greed doesn't allow the safety measures to be coming along with a car is common we realize that we live in a world where working hard doing your best doesn't always pay off we live in a world where opening our doors as we should open our doors to those who want to come here and make a life and be our neighbors from other countries they may fly airplanes into our buildings and in a single day kill several thousand people We may live in this world and wonder why we couldn't maneuver. We may maneuver and buy health care and still the health care cannot cure the cancer. It cannot cure the heart disease or it cannot protect you from the icy patch on the highway. It causes your car to flip over. But you live in a world, friends, where it's not how hard you work, how much you save or how much health care you have. We live in a world where we need the Lord's. You need Jesus Christ. And to be so foolish as to think you can maneuver through this world without God is only to come to that heartbreaking space that you will always encounter one day where you need him, but you haven't learned how to live a life of faith. In Cincinnati, Jason Courtney and his wife Tiffany experienced that. They had left their two-year-old son, excuse me, three-year-old son to play at his sister's apartment on the third floor while they got away for a much-needed weekend. His sister saw because it wasn't warm enough for air conditioning, wasn't just cool enough for the heat, so she lifted the windows, and somehow or another their little boy pushed through the screen and fell three stories down not onto the grass, but to the concrete pad, crushed his skull and broke his arm. She saw him go out the window, and she called 9-11, and with moments, the first responders were there. His kid was caved in. His arm was broken. She had to call Jason and Tiffany to come. They went rushing to the hospital only to find out their son was being airlifted to Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And so because they needed everybody in the plane tending to their boy, they raced from Cincinnati up to the Cincinnati hospital. You know where the Children's Hospital is several miles up the road. And they got there and a chaplain met them along with somebody from the hospital. They knew that didn't mean good. And they just, there was no hope for their little boy. There was no hope for little Colton. And yet somehow or another, nobody knows how, nobody can explain how, but God took that caved in little head that they they operated on, they put all kinds of tubes in, and they said, he's not going to make it, he's not going to live. And Jason is in the chapel of the hospital praying, seeking God, don't let my boy die. Please don't let my boy die. Don't take him from me when he's shaken on the arm and these fears the worst and he runs to Jason's room. He runs to the Colton's room and when he gets there there's this little boy with his eyes open and with tubes in his mouth. He wants his sippy cup and they don't know how they don't know how God did it but God healed that boy and the surgeons at Cincinnati Children's Hospital called it A miracle. Friends, it gets better when they got him out of the hospital. They took him by the first responders to thank them for how quickly they responded. And one of the men said, but what about his broken arm? And he said, "What do you mean?" He says, "His arm was broken. We we saw it broken. I told them when they took him away in the ambulance, his arm is broken." And there was no broken arm and there was no bro- but there was a record that his arm was broken. You see, when God does a miracle, he does it all the way. He's the God of miracles this morning. I tell you these stories because they're real. They're attestable. I tell you these stories this morning because I am confident that you matter to God. No matter where you're at, what you're doing, you matter to God. You are important to Him. And just as I said to those parents years ago, and I reminded us of this morning, nobody can replace you. Nobody can replace you. Your life matters to God. I read, and I won't take time to read Joshua 3. We've already read it, but it's in your outline. So let me take you to your growth work this morning. What is a miracle? When we say a miracle, I, I can give you really impressive theological definitions of miracles. But the simplest way that I know how to tell you what a miracle is, is a miracle is what is impossible with you and me is possible with God. What is impossible with you and me is possible with God. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further, and the skeptics will disagree with me on this. But sometimes what is possible in America is not possible in Ethiopia. Or Kenya. It's not possible in Bangladesh. You see, we're the beneficiaries of such good medical science. We're the beneficiaries of a solid economy. And for the looks of all of us here, we're the beneficiaries of good nutrition. Say amen or oh me. We're the beneficiaries of vitamins. We're the beneficiaries of safe spaces to be able to exercise in. It's that time of the year where I see so many people getting out of their winter cocoons and running again, exercising. There are many parts of the world they don't have what we have. And so what may be possible here with us with science and technology? It's still as great a miracle for them when God provides what a doctor, or health or nutrition could provide. But sometimes they see miracles that we don't see because of our technological advantages, we fail to recognize that He's still the God that can turn the water into wine. He's still the God that after his cousin Lazarus, I mean, cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded, he still healed all their sick. He's still the God that raises the dead. He's still the God that does the impossible. And maybe technology and maybe nutrition and maybe the economy hasn't been as kind to you as it's been to other people. But you see, our faith has never been in any of those things. Our faith is in the Lord. And what's impossible with man is possible with God. God. You See, the Bible is very clear. God wants to work and show himself strong on our behalf. As a matter of fact, I really like the way the Old Testament refers to miracles. They're called mighty works of God. Say that with me. Mighty works of God. Mighty works of God. For he does the impossible. I was sharing with my family this week. Did you know there are over 240 miracles in the Bible? Over 240. There are miracles, salvation, being a new creation, your sins being forgiven. Some of you, you're still who you are, but you're not who you used to be. I'll recommend a book to you by Eric Metaxas. It's called Miracles. Wonderful book. I met Eric a couple of years ago and just enjoyed being with him. So He's a funny guy. He writes with some humor, so you'll really enjoy the book. Eric tells about, he's Greek, and he needed a job as a teenager, and his father And his priest recommended that he go to work for this Greek restaurant. They knew the man. The man was kind of mean. But he had a cook in the kitchen. And I know just a little bit about cooks, the most important person in the day school that we had in Georgia. It was not me, it was not the teachers, it was not our director and our assistant director, but of my whole staff, the cooks, the most important person in the world. And when I ran camps, I'm gonna tell you something else I learned the cook is the most important person in the world. And in my house, the cook is the most important person in the world. But in this Greek restaurant, Eric says he avoided as much as possible even having to go into the kitchen because Milo, the cook, was such a vulgar man, especially when it came to sex and to to women. He was always saying inappropriate things to young Eric about his girlfriend Eric tells decades later he goes to a Greek Orthodox festival and there's this man out passing out tracks he says I look at the man and he says he looks vaguely familiar to me he says but I go on in the festival and I get the souvlaki. I don't know if you ever had it, but souvlaki is so good. Oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> he goes in and he's on his way out and he sees that man again and he looks so familiar. He says, it's almost like this glow about him. He said, I leave and I can't help it. I just keep thinking I know that guy. So he turns around and sure enough, Eric didn't say sure enough, but that's how you say it in Georgia. Sure enough, he was still there. And he walks up to the guy, and the guy is literally glowing with the love of Jesus, telling people about what Jesus had done in his life. And Eric says, I go, Milo? You see, the person that you think God couldn't save is the very person that God wants to reach out, and they may be among the three you invite to church this week on Easter Sunday. Milo told Eric all about his story. See, that's a miracle. Some of you, you know God totally changed. You're still you. You're still recognizable as you, but you know you're a new creation inside. You've been born again. Can you say amen to that? There are miracles of healing. I've told you two this morning. I could spend hours with you telling about people who have been healed. I remember period of time in my 40s my early 40s late 30s I couldn't stand any longer to preach and I went to the orthopedic surgeon and they gave Becky and I the bad news showed me the x-rays I had wore out my hips the joints the the, the ball was outside the hip and wore out the socket and he told me he says pastor you're going to be in a wheelchair again and Becky and I were just devastated the damage was clear, it was there I'm standing on this side of the church a church similar to this building on this side of the church and a friend of mine, nobody knew but Becky and I and my surgeon a friend of mine came over and, and stand up for just a second Ethan he came over and he laid his hands on me and he says Lord I'm not being fresh, lift up your hand he laid his hand on my hips he says I don't know what's going on I ask you to touch Dennis tonight and I ask you to heal him I didn't get chill bumps I didn't fall down it was nothing weird it was just like I prayed with Eric i mean, Ethan you sit down buddy I called Charlie the next morning the orthopedic surgeon I said I need a new x-ray he goes well we can't do surgery yet I said no I need a new x-ray so I came down and they run a whole set of x-rays. I got dressed, sitting in the waiting room. They come back and give me says something's wrong. We need to do the x-rays again. I think they just would to see me undressed, this studly man that I am, you know. So I get undressed. I put on that awful uniform they make you wear. They x-rayed me again. I got dressed I went to the waiting room Charlie come guiding. he put his arms around me he put the first x-rays up and then he put the second x-rays up he says I don't know how but it's a miracle I don't want to see you again until you're in your 80s you're good to go I'm telling you he's the God of miracles he's the God of miracles he's the God of miracles Why can't you believe that this morning? He's the God of miracles, sir. Shake off that sleepiness. Shake off that lethargy. Shake off that delusion that Satan has put into your life. What God has done for those in the Bible, He will do for you and I today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the God of miracles. He's the God of deliverance. The Bible is full of stories of how he delivered people from things that were oppressing them. You may be oppressed by your past or something you're involved in now, but God will set you free. He's the God of nature. Jesus speaks to a storm and it has to be still. I've never spoken to a hurricane. My voice has nothing to do with a hurricane. But I have prayed in many a storm, Lord, protect us protect us i have prayed in hailstorms storms coming through utah mountains and nevada mountains i have prayed in blinding fog i have prayed when the car is went out of control he's the god of nature this morning he's the god of creation this is no accident and i rebuke that lie i hate that lie you are not the results of evolution you are the child of god he created you this morning he's the god of resuscitation by that i mean those he raised from the dead like lazarus they died again but one day there's going to be a resurrection and when jesus comes again all of those who died in faith in christ We're going to rise with them to meet the Lord of the air forevermore. Can we give him? We're going to celebrate that Easter Sunday. So I want to end this service just a little differently. There's no fill-ins for your growth work. But I mean this sincerely. I don't want to sensationalize this. But if you need a miracle this morning, And the way I know you need a miracle is you're not ashamed. I want you to come to this altar. It may be a financial miracle. It may be a physical miracle. It may be an emotional miracle. It may be giving your heart to Christ. We're not going to shake you, touch you. We're just going to pray. You see, Woodland is not a church where we promise you we make outlandish things. where. If you give this, you're going to be blessed. Or you've prayed these certain words. To, we just, if you need a miracle, the altar is a sign. We believe we're standing in the presence of God. Would you stand and would you come and come to this altar right now? Don't hesitate. Just get up and so, God, I need a miracle in my life. My
1: hope is found here on holy ground here about town. Here I bow down, here, arms open wide, here, you've saved my life. Here I bow down, here I bow down, at the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you, I'm in awe of you, where your love ran red and my sins washed white. I owe all to you, I owe all to you, Jesus.
0: At the cross, at the cross
1: at the cross at the cross i surrender my life i'm in all of you i'm in all of you where your love ran red and my sin washed white i owe all to you I owe all to you Jesus
0: I want you just to close your eyes and I want you to listen to me for just a moment first of all I think I can say this unequivocally God is pleased with your faith to come to him this morning I can say, as your pastor, I'm a bit overwhelmed. I would have never had a clue. This many of you would have come saying, I need a miracle. But it does indicate to me we are right where we need to be this morning. Now I want you to listen. I want to give you three biblical stories that you rest your faith upon, and we're gonna pray. I want to ask our deacons, would you come? Pastor Mark, would you come? Those of you that a service has passed in deacons I just need you to come unless you're standing here and I just need you to stand in front of people and be willing to extend your hands and pray with them just get on the steps here but in Luke chapter 5 there was a leprous man that said to Jesus Lord if you're willing Jesus said I'm willing and he reached out to him leprosy was a disease that consumed our bodies it consumed our souls it's kind of like AIDS is today and Jesus touched him. and you may feel like this morning you're just kind of slowly dying on the inside but you've come to Jesus you've not come to me I can't do a miracle I can't heal you but Jesus can heal you this morning the Apostle said they said it was not us that healed this man it was faith in Jesus' name that healed him so god can heal you this morning not only of your diseases but god can heal you from the things that are eating you up from the inside out you're going to learn to live a new life the second miracle i want to tell you about is in luke 8 the dying girl it's never too late for jesus this little girl was dead and people laughed at jesus and mocked jesus and told jarius don't trouble the master but Jesus, put all of those skeptical people out. You are among people that believe with you. It's the reason I've asked our deacons and former deacons and our pastors. We're here to pray with you this morning. And Jesus walks in and he takes that little girl by the hand and he raises her up. I'm just telling you, no matter where you're at, it is never too late. It is never too late. You may be thinking for your finances, your marriage, your children, thinking it's too late. It is never too late. Even when somebody dies, when Jesus comes into the room, things are different. Can you say amen? amen? And then in that same chapter, there's a woman who's had an embarrassing and an unclean disease for 12 years. She has slowly been hemorrhaging to death. And there's no hope for her. She spent everything she has... She has been drained physically and financially and emotionally. And you may be drained this morning. It may be an effort for you to even be in this altar. You may be sitting out there not able to come because you're drained. If so, I want to know about it. I want to pray with you. But she still mustered up the faith to touch Jesus. And so I'm asking you to look to Jesus this morning and trust His Word right now as we begin to pray. Father, in the holy name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray for all of these that are gathered around this altar this morning. God, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus for those who are dealing with a disease today, Lord. It's causing their body to waste away. It's causing their energy to waste away, to be consumed. Have mercy upon them, Lord. And I pray, heal them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Lord, if by chance there is some. Hindering sin, and by chance, Lord, there's some hindering attitude, Lord, that's standing in the way of them and the blessing of being healed. I ask you, Lord, to show that to them that they may confess it. So, unlike the children of Israel, they may be like the children who crossed the Jordan this morning. The walls of Jericho are going to fall for them. So, right now, in the name of Jesus, if that's you, you're here for healing. Would you just receive that prayer and would you let the Holy Spirit touch your heart and trust Him right now? Now, Father, for those that are standing here, it's too late, they're thinking. Or maybe they've even slipped out while I've been praying to come join this group because they suddenly realize that when Jesus is in the room, it's never too late. God, we believe. We are not skeptics. We are not mockers. We believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I'm asking you now in the name of Jesus, would you take them? It may be their finances. It may be their children. It may be their marriage. Whatever it is that the enemy has been whispering to them, it's too late. I've got your child. It's too late. I've ruined your marriage. It's too late. You've ruined your name. It's too late. It is never too late when we confess it. Our sins, when we come to Christ, when we cast our cares upon you. So, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask you to minister to them right now and do a miracle in their life. And if you thought it was too late, I want you just to receive that. Think about Jesus coming in and raising that little girl up. You're the God of miracles. Think about that little boy in the Cincinnati hospital believe in you it's not too late i
1: believe in you it's not too late you're the god of miracles now lord
0: i come for those they've been drained spiritually and they've been drained emotionally Lord. god it's like the very light it's been an effort for them to get up and to come to church It's been an effort, Lord, for them to get up and go to work. They don't even know why, but for some reason, Lord, it's like the very life in them is being slowly drained out. You have been good. They witness, they testify that you've been good. I'm asking you right now as they reach out to you by faith, lift your hands to him. Lord, as they reach out to you by faith, I pray that the very virtue and the life of God himself would flow into their bodies and flow into their lives. And Lord, that you would revive them and refresh them and renew them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray. Hallelujah. 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 That's what I want to say to you. You may, if you feel like the life's been drained out of you, you may have been doing some things that are contrary to the life of faith God has called you to. You need a day of rest. Research after research has shown after you've worked 50 hours, your work begins to suffer. You're not as productive as you were. As a matter of fact, if you keep that up, the 50 hours you're working won't be productive. Or maybe you're staying up too late with television or a book or your iPad. If you have to, set a timer where your internet goes off automatically and your your cable television goes off automatically. And go to bed and rest your wife and your children or pray with your children and your husband go to bed and rest God says to his beloved he gives sleep but I believe God wants to restore you and he'll do a miracle of restoring and renewing you your emotions you won't be on edge you will be filled with the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit because you're trusting God heads are still bowed and we're waiting on the Lord here's some things I have learned personally about miracles I don't set the terms of the miracle we have a precious grandson that I love so much I don't tell God how to heal Josiah I talk to God about it I talk to God about everything I know I just need him to listen to me and he does but I confess and acknowledge my faith that I am believing God to do a miracle in Josiah's life. And I'm going to pray that way every single day with no apology. I don't expect Josiah to be what he's not, but I do anticipate what God is going to do in Josiah's life, and I see that by faith in the name of Jesus. So you don't set the time, you don't set the terms. But if you were to ask me say, Pastor, What if God doesn't answer your prayers and Josiah isn't healed? I'm going to tell you, I trust God. Josiah is a gift to our families. Josiah is a gift from heaven just as much as as, uh, Davin and just as much as Nolan and Andrew and Dana. Josiah is a gift to us. We receive that gift joyfully and I trust God with his decisions. If I drop dead tonight, you can say I went out of this life trusting God and don't try to raise me from the dead beloved I'm in heaven with Christ I'm in heaven with Christ I'll feel sorry for you you don't feel sorry for me so that leads me to pray because some of you we have elderly parents or people we love that they're standing right there at that very thin place between heaven and earth Jesus, they have served you well. They have loved you well. You have been so good to them. I pray that you will give them the eyes of faith to see what lies ahead of them as they cross life's final Jordan River. Before they go, let them with childlike faith say, not I want my sippy cup, but say to their family, I want you to drink from the cup of the water of life that Jesus gives to you and pronounce a blessing upon their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren so that they can stand around at that precious holy moment when the angels of heaven receive their soul into the paradise that you have prepared for them. In Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone said, Amen, and amen, and amen. Can we give him one final hand of praise? Hallelujah. Now, I have some instructions for you before you go. Number one, if you believe that God has done a miracle in your life, share that with only the following people. Listen share it with your husband or your wife. Maybe share it with your small group leader. Share it with me. I'd love to hear about it. But if it's a physical miracle, don't share it with anybody else until you first go to the doctor and let the doctor confirm it. Jesus healed those lepers and he said, go show yourself to the priest. They had to confirm it first. Okay? I don't tell you anything that I can't back up from the doctors of my life. Okay? Matter of fact, publisher called me the other day and says, can you get records of these things? And I go, yeah, we've got the records. You tell the doctor first. Okay? And you let the doctor check. Because what we don't want to do is bring disrepute upon the name of the Lord. Remember what I told you? It used to confuse me. People keep coming back for the same miracle every week, every week. And I was like... I know this can't be right. If you're a miracle of new creation and you've given your heart to Jesus, then you tell everybody. You tell them what Jesus has done. And even if you didn't sign that card, you invite your unbelievers. They're going to be loved right out of their socks Sunday morning when they come to Woodland Church. Okay? If one of those that the life just feel like the life's been drained out of you. I, I really believe those are three th- miracles God wanted me to pray today. Did you just you've you've lost your zest, your zeal for living, and God is restoring that in you? Would you let me know that? Would you? And, but just wait on that because if you've got your zest for living, I can remember when Becky went through a real struggle before we moved up here, and God touched Becky. God healed Becky. And one night we're sitting at the table, and our kids looked at me and said, Dad, Mom is back. Mom is back. But there was a physical condition that God touched her and He healed her and restored her. He's the God of miracles this morning. Amen. I love you. God bless you. If you're a part of this church, a member of this church, we have a business meeting that will be starting in about 20 minutes. If you're not a part of this church, but you'd like to see how we handle our business, you're welcome to sit on these outside roles. We'd love for you to sit here and join us. I need to see the board in my office for just a few minutes before we start. And for those of you who stand for the business meeting, we will be about 20 minutes before we can get started in here. God bless you. I love you so much. Have a wonderful Jesus-filled day. Amen.